Welcome to the Anglican Church of the Good Shepherd, Pelham, Alabama podcast. Now let the words of my mouth and meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Amen. We live in a culture that lacks imagination. A culture that lacks imagination and it disdains transformation. We fail as a, a culture and a society in thinking that we are so creative and thinking that we are so great, that we're so advanced, that we think that we're the epitome, the pinnacle of human civilization itself, when in reality, what we are and who we are is Sodom and Gomorrah, Assyria and Babylon. Macedonia and Rome, merely biding our time until this kingdom of man shall fall. My dear brothers and sisters in Christ, our society believes it's on the verge of the next step of humanity, on the next step of evolution, all the while wholly and completely ignorant that humanity's next step happened 2,000 years ago. AI, artificial intelligence, is neither our salvation nor our destruction. Transhumanism, the next step supposedly in human evolution, it's not our redeemer and it's not our doom. Christ Jesus is our savior. Our savior from our descent into sin and into hell. But while Western society continues to play a fiddle, it deteriorates by pursuing false philosophies and perverted human wisdom that by disfiguring our own bodies and perverting our minds, that we could transform ourselves, that we could become transhuman, that we could even transgender ourselves. And this ignores the disease of humanity and it's treating the symptom. It fails to recognize that when we don't feel quite at home, not just with our bodies, but just not quite at home in our souls, not quite at home, no matter who we are, no matter where we live, just always searching, always seeking for home and yet never grasping or finding it. It's because of our own lust. It's because of our own greed, our avarice, our slothfulness, our envy, our gluttonous. Ultimately, because of our pride. But the true disease that all these symptoms are coming from is from the illness of sin. But we turn inward, don't we? We turn inward and we fill ourselves and we find that we're still empty and lacking. Well, then we turn inward again a second time. And like a madman, somehow we think that just doing the same thing, going back into ourselves, trying to satisfy ourselves, will somehow yield a different result. We keep searching for a solution. Perhaps by destroying ourselves even further, whether perverting our minds or maligning our bodies, will just somehow grant us the happiness that seems so elusive. And unless you're not hearing me speak plainly, allow me a moment to clarify. The rising claims of dissatisfaction, the rising suicide rate, the rising claims of our own young people seeking alternatives through transgenderism, it stems from several hundred years of the West thinking that it can transcend God and we can become our own gods. It really goes back to the garden, doesn't it? 
It goes back to denying God for who he is, denying God for his authority, and just thinking that we can self-evolve. And denying Scripture's authority for the past 200 years in the West, that was only the beginning. Denying God was the fruit of denying his word. And then ignoring the Creator and denying Him naturally results in what we are seeing today. It's the rotten fruit that comes out from those seeds from several hundred years of decaying our thoughts, decaying our minds, and denying that our created bodies came from a Creator. Denying who we are, who we were made to be, and who we were made for, and instead we live in a delusion. A delusion that, oh, our minds aren't really contaminated by sin or by error. We're not half as bad as what we think we are. And that's why that today, today's feast of the transfiguration, it's crucial for today's world, and it's crucial for the conversations that you will encounter with those outside the body of Christ, and perhaps even today at our event after church. Because 2,000 years ago, Christ entered into the world to bring humanity back from the dead, and to recreate us to be the next step for humanity. We do not need to be transgendered. We do not need to be made transhuman. What we need is to be transformed by the renewing of our minds and transfigured into the likeness of the new Adam, who is making the entire cosmos new. The next step for humanity is shedding the dust off from the old Adam by being reborn. Yes, born again in mind, in body, and in spirit in the new Adam. The hippies, they pursued the new age, the age of Aquarius, and they found discontentment. But Christians are called to live in the new age now, the age that is yet to come, but is breaking through, that is bursting forth. Christians are called to live transfigured lives, renewed and reborn by the Holy Spirit, to walk as Christ lived and as he taught us to live. But maybe I'm not getting through. I believe it's always good and wise to go back to the ancient words. First with the scriptures, but also from time to time, when we hear the words of a saint who lived closer in time to when the scriptures were written, I feel that sometimes we just get a little bit closer to the Spirit of God who inspired the Word of God. So listen for just a moment to the words of St. Gregory. St. Gregory the theologian, as he better explains what I'm trying to say through one of his Easter sermons, in which he said, quote, Yesterday I was crucified with him. Today I am glorified with him. Yesterday I died with him. Today I'm made alive with him. Yesterday I was buried with him. Today I am raised up with him. Let us offer to him who suffered and rose again for us ourselves, the possession most precious to God and most proper. Let us become like Christ since he became like us. Let us become divine for his sake since he became man. He assumed the worst that he might give us the better. He became poor so that by his poverty we might become rich. He accepted the form of a servant so that we may win back our freedom. He came down so that we might be lifted up. He was tempted so that through him we might conquer. He was dishonored so that he may glorify us. He died so that he might save us. 
He ascended so that he might draw us to himself, we who were thrown down through the fall of sin. Let us give all, offer all, to him who gave himself a ransom and a reconciliation for us. We needed an incarnate God, a God put to death so that we might live. We were put together, we were put to death together with him so that we might be cleansed. And we rose with him because we were put to death with him. We were glorified with him because we rose again with him. A few drops of blood recreate the whole creation. St. Gregory has a way with words. A way of bringing to reality what we read in the New Testament reading today. What we read in the scriptures from the gospel. This moment of transfiguration, when you read it in the gospels, if you're honest with yourselves, it really strikes as very strange. Jesus takes three, let's go up to a mountain, he goes to pray, and then he's transfigured. Appears radiant as light. His very clothes change from the color they are into a radiant white far brighter than what anyone could ever clean to make white, the gospel tells us. And then Moses and Elijah show up out of nowhere. Moses and Elijah. Why? Because they each looked forward to the day of Messiah, the day of Christ, the day of our God visiting his people, the Israelites. And though Moses had been dead for hundreds of years, God brings him bodily to be with Jesus on that mountain. And Elijah too, the great forerunner of the Messiah. He appears in the flesh with Moses and demonstrates they are both very much alive and in the body as for Elijah. Because Elijah, remember, was taken up. He never died. Went straight into heaven. He was translated into heaven, as we say. It is now here at the transfiguration. They both demonstrate, Moses and Elijah, that God is the God of the living. They are both representatives of the Old Testament, the law and the prophets that prophesy and point towards that final prophet, Jesus the Christ. And so when Peter asks, let me build a tent for each one of you, immediately God causes Moses and Elijah to disappear. So only Christ remains. This is to teach the three disciples, John, James, and Peter, who spoke, that they are merely witnesses to the true word of God, Jesus the Christ. And remember that in the Old Testament law, the Old Covenant requires two or three witnesses to establish a fact. And that's why Moses and Elijah are there. They bear witness to Jesus as the greater one. They, as representatives of the law of the prophets, are saying, we bore witness the entire time to the coming Messiah, and here he is. There's no new prophecy. There's no new word from the Lord that can ever reveal something new than what we have in the New Testament scriptures, than what we have in the written word of God. If anyone ever claims a word from the Lord that contradicts the written word of God, then you have a problem. And Jesus also, knowing the law, coming to fulfill the law, that you need two or three to bear witness to a fact. What did he do at the transfiguration? He brought three of his disciples to come and bear witness to that transfiguration. And he told them, don't reveal this 
until after I have died and risen from the dead. He did this so that those three witnesses would bear witnesses to us in the very scriptures we read today. But before we leave Moses and Elijah, let's note that they are talking with Jesus. We learn in Luke's gospel that wasn't our reading today. We read the account from Matthew's gospel. But in Luke's gospel, we learn what they're talking about. It says they were discussing with Jesus about his departure. Or as it says in the original language, his exodus. About his exodus. Just as Moses exodus God's people to the promised land, the gospel of Luke records that Jesus speaks with them of his own coming exodus from life to redeem the dead. The parting of the Red Sea will pale in comparison and does pale in comparison to Jesus' upcoming parting of Hades to pull the dead out of their tombs and to rescue those looking for Christ. But this exodus of Jesus and of his people from sin and from death, it's not the only similarity between Moses and between him. Because Jesus chooses to reveal his transfiguration on a mountain and during the festival of tabernacles. And he does so for a reason. Because just as Moses received God's commands, God's laws from Christ there on the mountain, and Moses' face shone so bright, the people told him, we can't bear to look at you. Cover your face now that you've been in the presence of God, of Christ. Now Christ himself has become flesh. Now Christ, the very same light who shined upon Moses, shines upon the world, shines upon his disciples, there upon the mountain, meeting with them just as he met with Moses upon the mountain. And there Moses is with him again. But this time, Christ comes down from the mountain, down from the mountain with his servants. Instead of sending an intermediary, instead of sending a servant Moses down on his behalf, God comes down with the disciples from the mountain. And unlike Moses, who could only see the passing back of the Lord, because no one may see his face and live, today in the gospel reading, the disciples are privileged to behold the face of God because he has become man. He's radiant. He shines his unapproachable light so that we may draw near to him and not be consumed. But we, just like the disciples, cry out when we hear the voice of God the Father, that this is my beloved Son, listen to Him. We're terrified, just as James, John, and Peter were terrified. But then what happens? The unapproachable light, God Himself, the Maker of heaven and earth, Jesus the Christ, puts His hand upon them and tells them, Fear not. This is our God, our God of love. Fear not. The one who dwells in unapproachable light has approached us to bring us into his light. But why did this happen in the Feast of Tabernacles? The Feast of Booths in some translations there. Or the Feast of Tents. Remember that this feast is from the Old Covenant, the Old Testament. It's a celebration for a week in which the Israelites would remember the years in which they wandered in the desert and they lived in tents and tabernacles. During the celebration, and to this day, for those who are practicing Jews who celebrate, they'll build an outdoor tent 
to live in for a week, or at least to spend time meditating and praying to God for a week, to have a meal, to share together, to break bread, to remember how God provided for their foreparents through the manna, the bread from heaven, and through the rock that followed the people of God and gave them water, whom Paul tells us is Christ himself. So Jesus does his transfiguration during this Feast of Tents, this Feast of Booths, this Feast of Tabernacles, because while they wandered in the desert, God told Moses to build a special tent, a special tabernacle that set in the middle of the 12 tribes, where Moses only would go in and meet God and talk to him as a man would speak to a man face to face. There where he would hear from God himself the word, that Moses was to go out from the tabernacle and to reveal to the people of God. And every time Moses went in and he came out, he had to wear a veil because he's in the presence of God. And his face shone, not because Moses was holy, because God is holy. And God was giving his word to Moses to give to his people. But today, today, O church, Christ doesn't meet his people through an intermediary. Christ doesn't meet his people through a tent. Christ doesn't meet his people through a temple. But he comes down as the intercessor between God the Father and between sinful humanity. He no longer comes to us in a tabernacle. He comes to us through his body, the tabernacle of tabernacles. As the true tent of God, the true temple, where within his body, man is reconciled to God. As though the temple itself, because his body is the temple. The temple that had to be torn down so that we may be raised up. And it's because of this festival, it's because of this timing that Jesus does intentionally to bring them up on the mountain for his transfiguration that Peter's thinking about the festivals, the festival of booths, the festival of tents. We build shelters. And so he thinks that he's asking a good thing. He thinks he's being hospitable, which is what you're supposed to do. I'll build three tents, one for Moses, one for Elijah, and one for you, Lord Jesus. This is, after all, how we celebrate the the festival. But by offering to do so, Peter is holding the Old Testament prophets to be equal to Christ. And this is why you immediately hear in the scriptures that he doesn't know what he's saying. And then immediately, a cloud overtakes them. The voice comes from heaven, and only Christ is left. This is why the Father takes Moses and Elijah away from the disciples' sight in order to make it clear that the true tent, the true tabernacle, the true temple of God, where God meets man and eradicates sin once and for all, remains forever the one who came down, Jesus the Christ, God in flesh, Emmanuel, God with us. And if we needed further proof of God's presence, of God's mission, of his intention to save his creation. We then hear the word from God the Father, making it plain as day by quoting the Old Covenant, quoting Psalm 2, quoting Isaiah 42. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. Hear him. Do you listen to him? Do you hear the word of God through the living word of God, Jesus, God the Son? He is the one who descends from the mountaintop experience with his disciples. He goes down into the valley of the shadow of death so that he might hang upon the tree 
that is the cross. So he might be high and lifted up to take away the sins of the world. So he might destroy the vain deceits of this world. The vain idea that we could ever transform ourselves. That we could ever make ourselves so great and so high that we could ascend to the heights of heaven. For truly where we find ourselves today as a people in a society is the same place that we find ourselves in Babel, in Genesis. Instead of building physical towers into heaven, we tear ourselves down saying that we can make heaven on earth. We say that we can rebuild ourselves in our own image. We say that technology will be our savior. We'll say that if we just had a little bit more money, more time, more knowledge and education in the ways of man, then we could improve our next step and be more evolved. But there's only one who can transform us. There's only one who can take away our sins. There's only one who is transfigured upon the mount. Christ Jesus, our Lord. And this is why Matthew and Mark, at the very beginning of the account of the transfiguration, at the very beginning introducing us into this account of what happened on that mountain, they began their scripture by saying that this happened after six days. Six days after what? After Jesus was talking about his coming death with his disciples. And then he did what? After six days, took three of them up upon the mount to witness the transfiguration. And that seemingly small detail about after six days should stand out. Because it roots us back into the first creation. Because Jesus, our Lord and our God, is transfigured on a new day, on a new week, on a day of new creation. Where St. Luke explains in his gospel account of the very same instance, it occurs on the eighth day. On the eighth day. Knowing that there's seven days in the week, seven days of creation. But on the eighth day, he was transfigured. A new week, a new day of creation. Because the gospel writers are anchoring us at the beginning of the accounts of the transfiguration by going back to Genesis to remind us that Jesus is the new Adam, the new creation, who is making all things new. In other words... Christ's transfiguration is not limited to him. It's a gift to be shared to all of us, all of us in his redemption, in his new creation. Our salvation begins with our forgiveness, our forgiveness of sins, our justification, and it continues with our sanctification, our sanctification of being set aside, being set apart from our own tabernacles, from our own bodies, to be living temples of the Holy One, full of the Holy Spirit. We are entering into the beginnings of our own new creation and our own transfiguration every day that we go before the Lord in prayer, asking Him, Lord, transform us by the renewing of our minds, by the giving of a new heart, by the mighty power of Your Holy Spirit that dwells within us and is praying for us, that gift of the Spirit that You poured out abundantly to us. What we see is that God the Father, 
began his new creation when God the Son took on our flesh and fulfilled the holy law within his body. God's the Son, his resurrection, it is the end of this world, dethroning Satan's false kingdom. It's the end of human foolishness that we proclaim as wisdom. It's the beginning of a new creation on this earth, a transformation of not only our flesh and the bodily resurrection, but also of creation itself with the new heavens and the new earth. It's a promise of our own bodily transfiguration and the transfiguration of this world. And we received, we received the down payment of this transfiguration by the pouring out of the Holy Spirit upon us. We receive the down payment of our own resurrection through Christ's resurrection. And we await the completion of this transfiguration when Christ comes again at that second advent that we're looking forward to. And we receive the promises of God of transfiguration, transformation, and renewal in our bodies and our minds by the Holy Spirit. We place our faith, our trust in Christ alone. Because Christ poured out his spirit, not to waste his Holy Spirit, but to renew you and to make you born again. We are called to new birth, to being born again through the water, by the Spirit, in our faith. And so therefore, let us, O church, let us confess along with St. Gregory the theologian. Let us become like Christ, since Christ became like us. Let us become divine for his sake, since for us he became man. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for tuning in and listening to the podcast for this week. We're expanding our ministries at Church of the Good Shepherd and expanding our space as well in order to better accommodate our growing church family and also to minister to our children. If you feel led to give, please feel free to text the word SHARE to 1-888-364-GIVE. Or additionally, visit us at www.goodshepherdacna.com and go over to the menu item listed Donate to donate online. We appreciate any help that you can give, and we hope to see you soon. Come visit us on Sundays at 9 a.m. for Bible study and at 10.30 a.m. for Sunday worship. God bless.